This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up on the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge, of good and evil. A river running, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Our second reading today is from Romans 11, verses 33 to 12, verse 8. On the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and worship. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has described, has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body.
and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. For it is to lead. Sorry. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, David. Uh, If you want to follow an outline of what I'm saying today, you can just get your new sheet, flip it over. And there's an outline of what we're saying. We're going to spend some time in the uh, readings that David read out, but also some other parts of the scriptures as well. So today uh, we start a new three-week series on generosity. Uh, And generosity is is reasonably simple uh, to understand. It's the doing it that's the challenge, right? Um, Generosity is when we give more than is expected or deserved. It's when we give uh, lavishly, richly, abundantly, And so over the series, we'll be reflecting on generosity in general, but particularly God's call for us to be generous and to be generous with what we have, our money and our wealth. Now, these issues are often sensitive, uh, partly because of our culture, uh, partly because of of church, right? Uh, Churches haven't always dealt well with these topics. And they're sensitive partly because of us, because we really, really, really like money. I mean, we say we don't, but really, who wants less of it? Look, personally, I'm a big fan of generosity, just for everybody else, right? You should all be generous. By the way, if you do want less money, please come and see me afterwards, or if you're at home, you you know where my email address is, and we can sort something out. Now, these are sensitive issues, but we need to keep talking about them and talk about them openly, because Jesus did. He spoke about them a lot, heaps. Uh, One scholar did a study of Luke's gospel and sort of calculated one in seven verses are on the topics of money and generosity and wealth, a lot. And I think Jesus talks about them so much for two reasons. First, uh, Jesus says our generosity and our attitude to money is an important barometer of our relationship with God. And second, our wealth is just really, really useful. It's a crucial material resource God has given us to love others and to work for the kingdom of God. But the issue of generosity is not just about or even mainly about money. It's fundamentally about who God is and how we see ourselves in relation to him. The fact is, though, generosity isn't normal. See if you can finish these sayings. There's no such thing as a free lunch yep we all know that one look after yourself because no one else will of course we do witness and experience some wonderful acts of generosity but these only really serve to highlight how abnormal it is generosity is abnormal in our world but it should be normal for christians it should be our modus operandi to give more than is expected to give richly to give generously 
And the reason it should be our way of being is because that's who God is. Our God is a God of grace. That's what generosity is, isn't it? It's grace, generous giving. And God has given to us lavishly, generously. And he has made us and he's redeemed us to be generous givers as well. Let's start with our second reading, verse 35. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It's a wonderful declaration of praise. Uh, But in it, it says something that's true and throughout the scriptures everywhere. God created everything. All of it. Everything we have, everything we experience, everything we enjoy, it's all given by God. And so ultimately all his. We see this particularly in Genesis. The first two chapters are a glorious celebration of God's creative work. Now, chapter one tells us that God created everything solely uh, by the power of his word and he created it out of nothing. And chapter two really f- focuses on uh, the creation of humanity and the Garden of Eden. Uh, from verse seven from our reading. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. It's clear, isn't it, from that verse that our very life is a gift of God. He created the molecules that make up our body. He, He breathed life into us. And it didn't stop there. He continually sustains us and the whole universe by his power. We breathe our next breath. And that one. And that one. Because God gives it to us. Yes, we work. We earn. But the materials that we work with, the ability that we have to work, is a gift of God. We exist because God gives And God doesn't just give us what we need, does he? We don't need a spectacular summer sunset. We don't need a melody, music that makes us weep. We don't need really good coffee, though some people might argue with that. God gives us not just what we need, but unexpectedly, lavishly, Have a look from Genesis 2 verse 9. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. He could have made them ugly trees, food that was bland. God gives us not just what is practical, what is beautiful, what is delightful. And he didn't have to, did he? God was under no obligation to create he, he, he's under no obligation to give us any of it. But he did, and he does, purely out of his love and his grace. That's how generous God is. But because he creates and sustains all, none of what I have is truly mine. None of what you have is truly yours. You're a steward of what God has given. God says this to Job in chapter 41, verse 11. Who has a claim against me that I must pay? The answer, 
No one, for everything under heaven belongs to me. If you want to test this theory, uh, today when you go home, I want you to make a sandwich, right? Only one catch. You can't use anything that you haven't created out of nothing. See how you go. None of what we have is truly ours in the sense that we have created it out of nothing. It's all created, sustained, but richly, lavishly and generously given by God. God gives to us generously, but he also gives to us with a purpose. He gives to us as stewards. From verse 15 of Genesis 2. The Lord God uh, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Here we can see why God gave uh, humanity life and everything. He gave it so we would work the garden. But the garden really is just a microcosm or, or, or the beginning of God's bigger project. In Genesis 1, God blesses humanity and calls them to go and share his love, his rule and blessing with the world. That's an important aspect of us being made in God's image, is to partner with God in his wonderful plan for the world. And so Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 tell us something about why God has given to us, our life, our abilities, everything. It tells us we were created to join in on what God is doing in the world. To be made in God's image means that we're created to be workers, to be sharers, and to be givers as well. Our friend for Christmas gave me a restaurant voucher, enough to take the whole family out, but it was given to me. Do you think they expected me just to kind of treat myself? Imagine I did that. Just, I'll go out and I'll leave Liz and my daughters at home. I mean, I could do that, right? That'd be pretty lame though, wouldn't it? And possibly fatal. (laughs) It's not why the gift was given. In the beginning, God gave not just so that we would receive and enjoy the benefits of his gifts ourselves, but so that we would be givers as well. But again, that's, that's not the world we live in today. I mean, again, we experience wonderful acts of generosity, but a lot has happened since God created us that way. And if you're in uh, Genesis Uh, You've got it on your phone or you've got your Bible with you. Just flick over to chapter 3 and you can see what happened. Sin. A sin is when we assert our independence from God. We deny that God is the source of everything that we have. Sin denies God is the giver. And sin also denies the purpose for which he gave us the gifts. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. That was their sin. They denied God was the author and source and Lord of life. They thought they could live independently from him when they sought the knowledge of good and evil. And they denied the intention God had for his gifts when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, from the forbidden fruit. God said it wasn't meant for them, but they ate anyway. But they're not alone. Humanity in different ways since then has embraced that same 
sin. If you look at Romans 1, 21, it says, this is Paul speaking, for all they, that being, they being humanity, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Lack of thankfulness. That's humanity, denying God as the ultimate author and source of life. Denying him as the ultimate giver. Instead, humanity acts as as if what we have is our own. We claim God gifts as something we've done. I made it, we say. It's mine. So we have a sense of entitlement. I deserve it. I earned it. It's mine to do with as I want. Have you ever watched The Simpsons? Classic show if you haven't seen it. In one of the earliest episodes, a Bart was asked to say grace, right, at the dinner table. And he says this, he said, Dear God, we paid for this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. Amen. <laughs> the watching adults gasp, but we laugh, right? Because it's a bit funny. But because he actually says what a lot of people think. And we think because my life and what I have is mine, something I earned and ultimately deserve, and other people who don't have what I have, they deserve what they have, we think we have the right to use God's gifts as we please. And that usually means we take that restaurant voucher we got for Christmas and we use it on ourselves. And we did, when we do that, we deny the purpose for which God's gifts were given. Uh, John Stuart Mill was a kind of founder, really, of modern liberalism. And he summed up that kind of attitude when he wrote this. Over himself, over his own body and mind, the individual is sovereign. I'm the boss. Well, what sort of world do you get when everybody acts and behaves that way? There is a G word that describes it, I think. It's not generous. It's not gracious. It's not giving. It's greedy. So many of our world's problems stem from that sin of greed. Environmental catastrophe, corruption, income inequality, poverty, violence, unfaithfulness, and so many more. All these ways of living contradict who we are in relation to God. They show that we haven't acknowledged him as a creator, the sustainer, the source of life, and that he's given his gifts for a purpose. Now put yourself in God's shoes for a moment. What would you do if someone treated your gifts like that? I know what I'd do. I'd confiscate them. I take them back. That's what I do when my kids won't share their toys or don't use them properly. Unfortunately, I don't have someone to take my toys off me. And that's God the right to hold us accountable. They're his gifts to give and his gifts to take away. That's what, he's, that's what Job said. It's the Lord's to give and take away. And that would be justice. But imagine God did that. Imagine God took away everything he'd given us completely. 
What would happen next? Well, it'll be gone, right? Everything. Everything. All of this would be gone. Everything you see, you feel, you touch will be gone, and so would we. Now, immediately. As they say, that would be that. But it's a grace of God that he hasn't done that. In Romans 11, verse 30, it says, Just as you were once disobedient to God, but now have received mercy. Instead of getting what we deserve, instead of taking away his gifts, God does the opposite. He gives mercy. He gives grace. He keeps on giving. He gives us the gift of forgiveness and he gives us the gift of eternal life. Romans 5, 8, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How bizarre. How generous, how wonderfully gracious is that? Let's just pause and reflect a moment on the cost of that gift. That gift cost Jesus. His life given for us at the cross. See, in Christ, God hasn't just given us things. He's given us his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved and gave himself up for me and for you. What more could God give than his only son? In creation and in redemption, God keeps on giving. How could you possibly respond to such amazing generosity? We'll have a look at Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything that God has given you, in view of life, salvation, his rich mercy, his lavish grace, in view of his one and only son, what do you do? You offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You give your heart, your mind, your soul, every fibre of your being to God in worship. It's not 10%, is it? It's not a tithe. It's not 20%. It's not 50%. It's not even 90%. It's everything we are to God in worship, to his service, to his glory. And when we do that, when we've been gripped by grace, we become the generous givers that he always intended us to be. Notice a few things about our response. Notice our response isn't to receive God's mercy, to earn it. Our offer is a response to something we have already been given, God's mercy, his grace. 
Notice, though, that the gift doesn't come without responding. We are to be holy and pleasing to God, to live lives of true and proper worship. Offering ourselves to God means living according to his will, using the gifts he's given us according to his will. And notice our response isn't just some naked, personal act of the will, something that we accomplish ourselves. It comes through, verse 2, transformation and renewal. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And that transformation and renewal comes through the Holy Spirit's indwelling power. He transforms and renews us. And you see, even our response isn't, it's not our own achievement, something we do on our own. It's an act of God, his generous gift of his spirit working in us. He helps us see who we are in relation to God and he moulds us into the givers that we were meant to be. As we finish, let me just share three implications of what I reckon that looks like. What it looks like to be moulded, shaped by God's spirit in that way. The first thing I think it looks like is dependence. We generally like to see ourselves as self-made people, independent achievers, in command of our own circumstances and destiny. But that's not who we are. God is the giver. We are the receivers of everything. We're really beggars before God and that's an uncomfortable feeling sometimes, isn't it? But that's who we are, completely dependent. And we need to trust God for everything. I imagine such an attitude expresses itself in prayer, right? If you're dependent on God for everything, you pray for big things, for little things, and you pray often. I also imagine such an attitude of dependence expresses itself in humility. When I understand self my stand as completely dependent on God, there really isn't much room for pride, for arrogance, for self-righteousness, is there? Either before God or over other people. That's the first implication. The second, I think, a response, it looks like gratitude. Have you ever noticed how much in Scripture we're called to give thanks to God? Well, there's a reason. Because God is the ultimate giver. I imagine having a deep sense of God's generosity will cause our lives to overflow with thankfulness for his rich and his lavish gifts. The third and final implication of what God's transformation and renewal looks like is giving. Indeed, that's where our kind of passage, our second reading, takes us, really. If you have a look at Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, offer, give, give your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Give yourself to God as a living sacrifice, not 10, not 50, not 90, but all we are to God. That means not conforming to this world, but living a transformed life that brings God honour and glory. It means giving yourself over to a life of praise, of obedience, of witnessing to his love and making him known. How do you view yourself and your life? 
We often don't really pause to ask those questions. Well, here's an opportunity. Do you see your life and everything you have as a gift given to you by God to be given to him? Or do you see it as essentially yours to do with as you see fit? Becoming givers in response to God's grace and generosity also means giving ourselves and what we have generously to others. Again, you can see this, the flow of Romans 12 from verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us, according to what God has given us. If your gift is prophesying, this is a gift from God given to us. If you've got that though, what should you do? You should prophesy in accordance with your faith. If your gift is serving, then you should serve. And if it's teaching, then what should you do? You should teach. If your gift is encouraging, you should encourage. If it is giving, then give generously. You kind of get the picture, right? The call here is for each person to give their gifts because God created us to be givers. Generosity, you see, is a key aspect of love. How I love my neighbour as myself. I give my time, my money, my words, my patience, my encouragement, my emotional energy. I give what God has given me to serve and love you. Now, the context of this passage really is the body of Christ, right? Is church. But the principle applies to all dimensions of our lives, in our, in our community, in our, in our city, and in our world. God created us to be like arteries, right? You know what arteries do? They're made, they pass on blood to other parts of the body, right? And that helps the body grow and sustain and, and flourish. Now, the arteries themselves, they need blood too. They're nourished by the blood they get, but, but they aren't just destinations, right? They're made to pass the blood on. We aren't just destinations. Whatever God has given us isn't meant to stop at us. Like arteries, we're nourished with what God has given us. He gives it to us to sustain us too and to enjoy, but it's also meant to flow through to others. God has made us his agents of generosity in the world. What happens if when your arteries get blocked. The body suffers, right? And so does church. So does our community. So does our city. And so does our world. Well, today is an opportunity for us to stop and reflect. What has God given to me? How am I using God's gifts? Am I faithfully giving what I have in response to God? It's an opportunity to reflect and as God's spirit works in you, to do something about that. And lots of ways you could do that. To serve at church, to be hospitable, to give your time to somebody. There's lots of different ways to be generous. The issue of generosity is not just about or even mainly about money. It's fundamentally who, how we see ourselves 
in relation to God and who God is. The issue of generosity certainly, though, is not less than our money and wealth. It's not about less than our money and wealth. Uh, During the mid-first century, uh, there was a severe famine in Judea, and the churches there were suffering greatly. And on one of his missionary journeys, the Apostle Paul took a collection uh, of money uh, from churches throughout uh, the Mediterranean in order to support uh, the Christians who were suffering uh, in Judea. And in his second letter to them, he calls the Corinthians to give generously to the needs of the church in Judea. And he gives them this motivation. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul says, give generously, brothers and sisters, for Christ has given to you generously. Over the next few weeks, let's pray for ourselves and pray for each other that we might all be gripped by God's lavish grace, that we might be generous with all that we have and all that we are, including our money, so that we might love and bless others. How about I pray for us now? Uh, Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your overwhelming generosity in our lives, for everything you have given us in creation and for everything you've done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father God, help us to be transformed into the givers that you've made us to be. Amen.